0: Has anybody had a bad morning? Maybe not <laughs> like that guy. You can clap any time you want. It's Hope Elum. Come on. Uh, it, is, it is good to be together this morning. Uh, anybody, anybody ready for winter to be done? Just anybody feel, yeah, like that guy? Uh, maybe that has never happened to you uh, before, but it is good to laugh. Amen? It is good to laugh. Laughter is good medicine for the soul. And if you can't remember the last time you laughed in church, it has been too long. Uh, You should be able to do that here uh, anytime, to laugh, to cry, to anywhere in between. But it is a good day to be together. My name's John. I'm one of the pastors here and uh, would love to get to know you more after the service today. But I want to say a special hello to all of you that are in the room, especially if it's your first time here this morning. Met so many people in the breakfast line that we're going to have to build a bigger hallway, I think. Praise God for that. Breakfast was awesome. Um, met so many of you that are here for the first time, which is great. Also want to welcome the many that are joining us online. Here's the, the online diversity today. Omaha represented, Honolulu, Hawaii, and Lima, Peru this morning. So that's pretty cool, joining us online uh, for our worldwide captive audience here uh this morning but we are getting to the end of January which means for some of you if you are a resolution kind of person if you're a goal kind of person then maybe you're a month into your new year's resolutions how are those going for you by the anybody just rocking their goals for 2022 okay three of you awesome that's great Way to go, that's awesome. Uh, Anybody just like completely have given up, just you failed miserably, like me? I have my hand raised right here, yeah. I had a couple things that I was just gonna do. Believe it or not, uh, we struggle that individually, but we are better together. In fact, turn to your neighbor right now, whether you know him or not, and say, hey, we're better together, tell him that right now. We're better together. On that note, we have made some goals and resolutions, if you will, as a church for the new year as well. And it's a pretty audacious goal. This big central theme that we have for 2022, it is a crazy, big, bold, audacious goal. Which is saying a lot because if you think about over the last year or two as a church and really as churches coming together, we've attempted some pretty risky things. Some pretty audacious goals ourselves of bringing two very different churches together, of of leaving our uh, our old facilities, coming into a new facility, renovating it, joining with mission partners together, confronting racism and injustice head on and having the tough conversations, coming together as a church even despite our differences. All these things that the world would say, that's crazy. That's radical. And now we're going to do something else over these next couple weeks. Some of you are familiar with this football game that's coming up called the Super Bowl. Well, for many, many years uh, at all of our campuses, we've done something called the Soup S-O-U-P-E-R, Super Bowl. And we do a food drive at all of our campuses. And the goal is, and you get to be a part of this this year, is we are going to stock every shelf at every food pantry in central Iowa (laughs) with goods, right? We can do it. We can do it. Why? Because we're what? Better together, right? Say we're better together. And so that is our goal. We've done all of those things. And so you would think, well, what more is there left to do? Well, what we're attempting to do is crazier than any of that. It's more audacious. It's bigger. It's more bold than any of that. In fact, many people would say what we're going to embark on as a church this next year is impossible. You ready for it? I've really built it up. You ready for it? It's this, to be known and to know each other. I know, and the room just is deflated with energy, right? Some of you are like, that's it? I thought we were going to go like change the world or something, Pastor John. What's going on? That's it? Yes, this is a year. We're calling it a year of community at all of our campuses here in 2022. And this is why that is a big, audacious school. That is why it's maybe bigger than anything we've done before because it's very rare. Amen? It's very rare. Have you experienced that? Who knows you and who do you? really know. Now some of you are saying, Pastor John, that doesn't seem like a very big goal. I mean, it's 2022. We live in the information age. We live in the world of social media, John, and I've got 1,247 friends on Facebook and just as many, if not more, Instagram followers, and I tweet out on the Twitter and all of that. I've got all my friends. I'm so connected. I I know all these people. Do you really? Who really knows you? Who knows you at the depths that you long to be known, and who do you truly know? It's like there's two parts to our lives. There's a top and a bottom. There's what people see, and then there's all the things that people don't know. Speaking of ice and not chiseling it off your windshield, but of an iceberg, what do you know about an iceberg? What's the truest thing about an iceberg? You don't see most of it, right? Most of what you see is up here. Side note, spoiler alert, this is what sunk the Titanic, okay? Sorry if you haven't seen the movie yet. It sank, okay? This is what you can't see is what caused the damage. When there's unresolved things going along underneath the surface. That's a sermon for another day, but what you can see is what most people know about you. All of us have an above the waterline life and a below the waterline life. Every single one of us has an internal life that not many people know, but an external life or the life that we project out in real life or on social media or whatever you wanna do. Your highlight reel. I'm wondering, does anybody know you below the surface? Yeah, maybe I know your name and I know your hobbies and I know your spouse or I know your kids' names or what school you go to or what your job is and some of your hobbies, and that's all great in those surface-level relationships. But I pray to God, in fact, I know that there's more to you than that. If somebody asked you, do you know who you are apart from what you do, would you be able to answer them? Well, I'm a, I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, I'm a, I'm a teacher, I'm a stay-at-home parent. There's more to you than what you do, I'm wondering who you are. Because every single one of us below the waterline has some hopes for your life, and some dreams, and some doubts, and some fears, and you have a story that goes back more than two days ago. Does anybody truly know your story? Can anybody speak into your life with the level of depth and authenticity that only comes not at the other end of a mouse click, but is forged in the day-to-day rhythms of everyday life and community? Who really knows you? And I think if we're honest with ourselves, all of us long for that. It's what we long for. Quite a few years back, and I I remember this like it was yesterday, I was going through a tough time. I just graduated from college, and to be honest, I was lacking purpose and direction (laughs) in my life. I know that a lot of us, when we're in our 20s, we're kind of asking, who am I? God, what am I called to do? I had some deep anxiety. I had fear about the future, My calling was unknown. I kind of relied on my parents' faith for a lot of my life. I was struggling with uh, self-esteem and, like I said, anxiety. I was was looking for some advice. I was dissatisfied with my job at the time. I was wondering what God was calling me to do, and I was just pouring out my heart to a friend of mine that was kind of a a mentor and a counselor figure. And so he, as a pastor, I thought, man, I need some advice, brother. Like, I, I need some deep theological, spiritual advice on my condition. I've got a condition. I've got some issues. Help me out, brother. And I pour my heart out to him about 30, 45 minutes, and he tees me up, and he says, John, let me ask you a question. Oh, yeah, yeah, bring it. I'm just waiting for the big revelation. He goes, do you have any friends? I go, what kind of a question is that? Of course I have a couple acquaintances, people that I've actually let in to the drawbridge of my heart because I'm a raging introvert and I don't let people in. But that's besides the point. You don't need to know that. Like, do you really have friends. Why do you need to know if I have friends? He said, "Jonathan, everything that you've shared to me, I want to challenge you with something. And I wrote it down and it's in my journal to this day. Maybe this is just me or maybe it's you too. Your most desperate need is to be known and accepted and then you can stop performing and start living. Some of you are going to get into your 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and you're going to get to the end of your life, and you're never going to experience the power of authentic relationships because you just won't accept grace. There is a God that created you, that loves you more than you will ever know, and he accepts you just as you are, and yet he refuses to leave you that way. And your challenge, if you choose to accept it as a church in 2022, is to let the people around you remind you of that. That's community. That's fellowship. That's the beloved community. And that quote has stuck with me for a long time. And it turns out it's not just some advice that I got a couple decades ago. This is God's heart for all of us. I love how Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Some of you are like, wait a minute, 1 Corinthians 13. That's for weddings, John. What are you doing? Actually, it's not. It's sort of been hijacked to become the wedding verse of love is patient and kind, and that's cute, and that's perfect uh, for couples. But you want to know what First Corinthians 13 is actually about? You growing up into maturity. Me growing up into maturity. In the faith and moving from immaturity to maturity. And this is what Paul says. Let's read it nice and loud. You've had your breakfast. You've had your coffee. 11 a.m. service. Here we go. Let's read it together. For now we see only a reflection, as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in parts; then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Paul says there's one thing for certain. There's a God that knows you and loves you unconditionally. Are you going to allow yourself to experience that and share that gift with others? You want a life-changing resolution? You want to go deep? I've heard a lot of people, oh, it's not deep enough. This isn't deep enough. My group's not deep enough. That wasn't deep enough. You really want to go deep? Get vulnerable. We've been talking about this for months, even for years. Beloved community, beloved community, beloved community, everybody coming together. And here, don't hear me wrong. I love that. And I love diversity and all of that. But some of us, we want the vision without the vulnerability. We want the vision without the sacrifice of going through the process of getting there. And I want everybody else to show me that love and acceptance, but I'm not letting anybody in. Because there's some stuff going on. And if you really know me, then I don't know if I would be beloved as a part of that community. If you really, well, we'll get to that in a little bit. That's for another time. We want the vision without the vulnerability. And it turns out that's where we're going today. What's the power of community? What's the power of groups? This is the last week in our current sermon series, The Five Habits of Highly Effective Christians. I'm with Pastor Hurst. I looked at that and went, where's the book? I I can't find that. Don't Amazon that. There is no book. This is just how awesome our graphics team is. But we've been going through all these, gather growth and, and love on Dr. King weekend and how we give and how we serve and have the strength to do that. And today we're ending kind of right in the middle there with groups. And here's what I realized this week. Everything we've talked about the last five weeks, all these things that we're called to do that we actually talk about in our new member class as a church, you can't accomplish that alone. Some people will say, well, John, Christianity is very, very personal. It's personal. It was never meant to be private. And there's a huge difference between the two. But we can't be who we've been called to be as a church alone. Christianity is not an individual sport, Here's where I go with that. I love the game of golf. Any golfers uh, out there? Anybody just driving by the golf course and you see people like snowshoeing and you're like, that's way too much work. I want to golf. I'm not going to do that. I miss golf on days like today. But here's the problem with golf. You're pretty much out there all by yourself. You're out there to fend for yourself and if you mess up and you get in trouble, you are all alone. Golf is a wonderful sport and a terrible analogy for your faith. Christianity is not an individual sport. A much better analogy would be, oh, I don't know, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, these guys, right? Any Chiefs fans out there? Anybody? Okay. See, they're sneaking into the sermon here somehow. Anybody watch the game last Sunday, by the way? Okay. I know you did, it's okay to say that in church, right? It's okay, it's okay. An amazing game, we are very irresponsible parents and let our kids stay up like two hours past their bedtime but that's fine, we are, we are all in and no shame in admitting bandwagon Chiefs fans. Is anybody with me cheering for the Chiefs? I know, all right. Alex our drummer is a lifelong Bengals fan so props to him on that. Uh, go, who <laughs> day, that's right. Uh, here's the thing, everybody's like Patrick Mahomes this and Patrick Mahomes, that's great. You want to know what made the game? He's got to throw to somebody. can't just throw to nobody. And when he's making all these amazing passes, there's a whole bunch of guys in front of him that are protecting him, getting his face smashed in, right? And who sent the Chiefs into overtime? The kicker, right? All these guys coming together as a team, and the same is true of your faith. Christianity is a team sport. Amen? You were never meant to do it alone. Christianity is a team sport sport you were created for it and so I want to share with you three reasons if you're like John that's cute that's for some people I want to paint a very compelling picture for you today why this is for all of us three key reasons why we were created for groups why do groups matter number one we are created for it number two it is the best way to grow to become disciples and number three Life happens. Let's take them one at a time. Number one, you were created for it. If you have your Bible or your Bible app on your phone, uh, you can download the YouVersion Bible app. It's been downloaded like a billion times. It's awesome. I, you, know, you have the word wherever you go. Genesis chapter 1. After the Spirit was moving over the waters, and you know the story, God creates everything, and then on the sixth day, he waits the best, uh, puts the best for last, is, is you, is me his masterpiece, and this is what he says, Genesis chapter 1, conveniently located at the beginning of your Bible. Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make humankind. Everybody say us. us. Don't miss the pronoun there. Let us make humankind in our image, in our Likeness. Now, you may have read that passage a hundred, a thousand times and skipped right over the pronoun. Don't miss the pronoun. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Some people are like, oh, Jesus showed up in Bethlehem. No, He didn't. He was right there at the very beginning. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are made, I am made in the image of a triune God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God is in relationship, in community with Himself. Don't miss that. So, in one of the many ways that as men and women, you and I, are made in the image of God is that we were made in community for community. Does that make sense? We were made in relationship for relationship. So a lot of people say, well, I'm an introvert." Well, you're looking at one on stage right now. Well, that's not what my personality profile says. I don't deal with people. I do, I do church alone. I have nothing against personality assessments or DISC or strength assessments or color code or Enneagram or all of that. They're very, very helpful. Personality assessments, though, at their best, are explanations for who you are, not excuses. When we're talking about the power of relationships and community, we're not talking about it at a preference level. We're talking about it at a soul level. So for you to push back and say, I don't really do the small groups thing, I don't really do the community thing, is pushing against the very way that you were created. Amen? This is how we're wired up. You were made for relationships. But not only that, it's the best way that we grow. So skip ahead a few thousand years, and here's Jesus. Here's Jesus, and he's calling the disciples. Jesus has three years in his ministry to change the world, and what does he do? Starts a small group. (laughs) A bunch of ragtag guys, a bunch of nobodies. Jesus calls 12 ordinary guys to follow him, and he pours his life into them for three years, and then they go and change the world. There's a lot of different ways that Jesus could have discipled them. Jesus could have said, just stay here or go off to seminary and read a few books and that'll be enough. Or, oh, I got an idea. You know, as I've been waiting to come and save the world and I've been up in heaven, Jesus says, I recorded a few podcasts in advance for you. And so disciples, what I'd like you to do is go home and in the isolation and seclusion of your home, I'd like you to go and hit some crazy podcasts that I I put together and then we'll just talk about them. But that's not what he did, did he? Jesus said, you want to grow most effectively, you want to become like me, you want to be a disciple, find a group. Because what you can't do home alone, and don't get me wrong, I love podcasts, I listen to them every single week, but you want to know what you can't do alone? Forgive somebody. You know what you can't do alone? Be forgiven. You want to know what you can't do alone? Offend somebody or have somebody offend you and work through it together. Have somebody speak the truth and love to you. I'm sorry, but the person on that link, on that podcast, they don't know your story. Who does? Online worship, on online sermons from other churches, podcasts, all of that are great supplements. But nothing replaces the power of the local church. And who knows you? Who can you imitate and who's imitating you in terms of discipleship? It's how we grow best. And finally, why do we need groups? I don't need to convince you of this after the last two years, but life happens. But let me let me bring it home, let me make it personal. About five or six years ago, maybe a little bit longer than that, I got a call from a gentleman in our church, probably middle-aged, I was not expecting of getting this call from him this late, like 11 o'clock at night. We had been in a men's group together, so he had my, my cell phone number. We were, you know, calling back and forth a little bit, but he's never called me like this. And it will just, I don't know, we'll say his name is Phil, and uh, he said, I'm so sorry, it's Phil. I know it's late, but... Pastor John, you know how you always said, like, you always say, how are you? And I say, good, I'm good. Say, yeah, well, I'm not good. Not good. I feel really alone and I'm stuck. And I said, what's going on? Well, you know there's something called being a workaholic? <laughs> or alcoholics and those that struggle with narcotics really get a bad, you know, they're the real sinners, well, I've become something that my wife is called a workaholic. And it's just as dangerous because. I've really messed up and I, I can't be fully present to her and I'm never around with my kids and I don't know why I just keep going and going and going and I'm burning the candle at both ends and I'm so stressed out and I have so much anxiety I started drinking a little bit just to kind of numb the pain a little bit but now I can't stop and now it's got the best of me and it's got its hooks in me and I don't know what to do because my wife has said I'm leaving and me and the kids are out and I'm so afraid John because everybody at church like what are they going to think of me and I just whoa, whoa, whoa time out I said hey, first of all, I'm so glad that you shared that with me. How long have you been struggling with this? He goes, three years. And my heart just sank. Nobody in a church should struggle with something for three years and be alone. And then I said, I'm so glad that you told me but I know that I can't fix it for you. I can't, I can't be there for every single person. I said, Is there, are there any other guys in your life that know what you're going through? And there was like a 20-second pause in the phone conversation. And he just says, I have nobody. What are we doing as a church if we're not about guys like Phil? Phil that look great with an awesome family and marriage and house and car and dog on the outside. And under the waterline, they're crumbling. And I understand, not every situation is like that. But if that doesn't speak to our need, I don't know what does. There was a man named King Solomon that wrote a book called Ecclesiastes. And King Solomon was one of the wisest men to have ever lived. He was also one of the richest men to ever lived. And he had everything, everything that the world, wealth and, and, and material possessions and, and all the women he could ever want and all the power and authority and kingdoms and kings, everything you could ever want. And he's reflecting back on his life and he says this in Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 8. He says, there was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother, which is often translation as, translated as friend. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked. This too is meaningless. A miserable business. He had everything that the world could offer. You would say he was rich in the eyes of the world, and yet he had relational poverty. That's why I can't stand it when people just say poverty. I say, well, what kind? Because at certain seasons of my life, I've had relational poverty. I've had a poverty of identity. I don't know who I am. And so I run everywhere looking for it. It's not just the people that live in a homeless shelter or under a, a tent camp. There are brothers and sisters in Christ, and we're just as broken as they are because the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Amen? All of us are in poverty. And so my challenge to you today is to think, man, you can have it all, and you can be busy and look great above the waterline. But here's the richest, wisest man who ever lived. He's looking back on his life, and he says this. Let's read it together. Two are better than one. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. No one to help them up. I just, I can't get that statement out of my head. I don't have anybody. I play the part. <laughs> I go through the motions really well, but I don't have Anybody, if your current experience of Christianity is sitting face forward in a pew for an hour a week listening to a guy talk, you are missing one of the greatest gifts that God wants to give you, and it's the people sitting next to you today, okay? It's community. It's groups. Not only that, but it's the foundation of how the church was started. So now let's go to our scripture reading today from Acts chapter 2. It's going to be like three-fourths of the way through your Bible, the book of Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts tells the story of the early church. And to set the stage for you of what you heard Chad read earlier, is that Peter has just stood up and he's preached a sermon filled with the Holy Spirit. And it says, 3,000 people were cut to the heart and repented. 3,000 people came to faith that day. This is like the largest new member class in the history of the world. It just happened, like, boom, there they are. And have you ever wondered, like, now what? How do you organize that group of people? Now what should we do? What shall we do? And this is what happens. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. All the believers, I'm summarizing, were together, had everything in common. They were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There was something about these early followers of Jesus, about this church, that was irresistible. And yet, at the same time, I cannot help but notice, why did they just form a bunch of small groups? They didn't have, like, a small groups coordinator at their church. There was no church. There was nothing. They weren't even known as Christians. They were followers of the way. And here's what happened. Here's what happened. I think there were these pockets of people, not very many, but there were these pockets of people that had watched Jesus and seen him change people's lives it changed their own life and they'd never been so loved and they'd never been so served they watched this man predict, predict his own death and resurrection and then he did and they watched him come walking out of the grave he changed their lives forever and he said now go and tell every single person that you know about the greatest news in the history of the world go and make disciples and this is an all-in kind of adventure and so then guess what they did it They didn't come to church and sing songs about it and pray prayers about it. They went and they did it. And as they were doing it, they realized, oh, this is hard. Following Jesus doesn't make my life easier. It makes it worth living. And all of a sudden, this is really hard. And so what do you think they did? Oh, I need to find some other people that are living this crazy lifestyle. I need to find some other Christians or followers of the way that are all in so that I need prayer and I need encouragement because I've been living on mission the entire week Then when I gather with these other believers we're just celebrating what God has been doing the whole week and we're encouraging each other and we're starting to see God move and change people's lives and do miracles and so we're going to get together and we, we might even pray some prayers we might even sing some songs and worship God once in a while all together to thank him for what he's done so we can get filled up and go back out and I don't know let's call this thing church Amen? And that's how the whole thing started. And we go, I don't know, am I going to make it for the 9 o'clock or the 11 o'clock today? I hope the sermon's good. Do you see the difference? Community was not optional when mission is critical. And I think for some of us, that's what we're wrestling with. If you go ahead and go to the next slide, I think for some of us, Community feels optional because our mission has grown comfortable. I'm way back here. I'm not even up by the edge. I'm not even dipping my toes in the water. I'm certainly not jumping in for the all-in for this Jesus thing. And because of that, I'm comfortable. So I don't really need anybody else because I'm not doing anything in my Christian life that's anywhere remotely taking a risk for the kingdom of God. But when I read Acts 2, they needed each other. They were desperate for each other and it was irresistible to be a part of. There's something that they were gladly willing to rearrange their schedule for. And it's this word fellowship. Now, some of you hear that word fellowship and you're like, "Eh, oh, you know, like coffee in the fellowship hall, right? That's what, nothing wrong with that. Met something much different. This word is koinonia. Everybody say koinonia. Koinonia. In Acts 2 and they say they devoted themselves to the fellowship, to the koinonia. And some of you are like, oh yeah, just friends. No, deeper than that. Deep friendship, purpose, connection, belonging, and joy. The root of that word in the Greek means an equal contribution. Every single person brings something to offer, and when we all bring something to offer, that's what creates the power of the community. You can't have koinonia if you're not contributing something. That's the root of it. That They would gladly rearrange their schedules for this, this deep, belonging the power was in being together. I remember several years ago, I was at a church conference and one of the pastors from a big mega church in America was telling the story up on stage with his friend that's a pastor from India. And in many parts of India, where it's very much a third world country, a developing country, very much in poverty, and very much anti-Christianity. There's not a ton of Christians over there. They're very much persecuted, and so he's won a few. And they're retelling the story of several years before when that pastor from India had first visited the United States and was looking at American church culture. And they were driving to this big conference, and the pastor from India said to the American pastor, so I understand that you are very uh, popular. And that, yes, and that there are going to be thousands of people that come to this church conference to hear you speak because you're speaking. Well, yeah, and there's this very well-known uh, Christian uh, band that's going to be there. And that's why people are going to, well, yeah, there are probably going to be a lot of people because they're kind of a big name and people are going to come. And he just looked at him and shook his head and said, you Americans, you are so funny. And the American pastor was like, what? What's so funny? Why are you laughing? Not in a mean way or anything like that. And the pastor said, from, from India said, you don't understand, in India these churches are so far apart. There's so few believers. And gatherings of the believers are so rare that my friends will walk from two, five, even ten miles away. They will literally drop everything, all of their priorities. They will drop everything and walk for miles just for the chance to be together together with somebody that has one Bible, maybe some pages of a Bible, and they will get together because the big ticket, the big draw, is that we get to pray together. And we will come from miles around because the power is in being together. Nobody's on the stage. It doesn't matter what the sermon's about. It doesn't matter what the worship team's saying that morning. The power is the koinonia, the deep friendship. That's why I came. Just so you know, the worship is not the opening act for the sermon at Hope Elam. Hate to break it to you because Pastor Hurst and I just aren't that good and God is really that good. Amen? So that's the deal, okay? This is the main event. You being together, what just happened at breakfast, that's it. You knowing each other and being known. That story wrecks me every time and I wonder if you and I have forgotten the power of the gift that's right in front of us every day and it's called the local church. And the power of that koinonia. And here's why. Here's why that koinonia is deeper than any other kind of fellowship that you can have. Do you want to know something? The deepest thing about you is the deepest thing about me and vice versa. We, we love this man named Jesus and he has set our hearts on fire with his love. And what we're doing as Hope Elam is not a social event or a hobby. We are literally, through the power of the Holy Spirit, changing people's lives for eternity. There is nothing more important than you could ever be a part of. Amen? That's what we're doing. It's the koinonia. Don't Don't miss it. And the problem is, if you're like me, sometimes you do miss it. If we're honest, some of you are like, yeah, I'm all in for that. Beloved community, koinonia, fellowship, yes. I don't have time right now. That's for other people. And there's barriers that get in the way of us and that community. Three ones I want to unpack really quick. Roadblocks to community. Everybody say cover up. Number two, conflict. Conflict. Number three, conceding. conceding. Number one, what gets in the way of community? First of all, it's the cover up. And it goes something like this. I would join a small group. (laughs) There is no way anybody's finding out what I've done. If if the church knew my past... Oh, I've heard this one. If I had a nickel for every time. (laughs) If only you knew, Pastor John, the things I've done. I don't, but God does. And you have every right to be here just as much as I do and it has nothing to do with your goodness. It has to do with his goodness because of grace. And God calls out to you today wherever you are and some of you are like you don't know my past you don't know my failures you don't know my mistakes God does and he calls out to you and the reason that we cover up and the reason there's a lot of people living above the waterline at churches well it's because of this you and I compare our behind the scenes to everybody else's highlight reels and in a day of social media that's harder and harder and hard. well according to their Facebook posts they're fine what does that mean anymore? They're a nice, beautiful family and everything's perfect in their marriage. No, it's not, and it's not okay for you either. So let's just all get together and be the church and admit it, amen? amen. We don't, and, then, and all of a sudden, we don't have to prove anything. And just like Adam and Eve bite the forbidden fruit and the first thing they do is they run and hide in the bushes in Genesis chapter three, what does God do? Ah, uh, yeah, it's, it's fine. God comes after them, and what does he say? Where are you? And he calls out to you wherever you are, in your relationships this morning and says where are, God knows exactly where you are. He's not like hide and seek, where are you? Where are you at relationally? Where are you at spiritually? Where are you at emotionally? Where are you at in your hiding? And all of a sudden if I realize that church isn't a museum for saints, it's a hospital for sinners, then I'm all in baby because I don't have anything to prove anymore. I've got nothing to lose and I've got nothing to prove. Right? Now I can step in Now I can step into Christian community and I don't have to cover up anymore. Some of you know it's not that, it's conflict. Because the reality is, for some of you, that's the biggest barrier. You're here because of maybe some previous conflict at another church. And I understand, we want you to be a part of a healthy church. We want you to be a part of a safe, growing church. But here's the thing, sometimes I think the very things we run from are the very things that God wants to use to form us. And a lot of us in our family of origin, we have been trained that at the first or second, or maybe if we hold on to the third sign of conflict, we say, forget you, I'm out. And we never find the depth that we're looking for. And I've always thought about that. You know, like a lot of people think, well, you know, I had a bad experience with the church, right? I, I did join a group, Pastor John, and I had high hopes, but they are weird. I'm like well the problem is they weren't weird until you got there so that's kind of the I'm kidding we're all weird we're all broken and we're all messed up yeah I know but I had a bad experience Pastor John I got burned I want to remind you that fire burns but fire also refines like gold And there's a reason that over and over and over in the New Testament, Paul is saying things like this he does to the church that he planted in Colossae. Let's read it together. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Over and over, Paul's saying, don't quit, don't give up, love each other, bear with. Why is he saying that? Because there was nowhere else to go. In those days, the person at the church in Colossae couldn't say, well, they have better worship music at Second Baptist of Colossae, you know, and I heard about Third Reformed over in Philippi, and they are rocking. They've got a really hit preacher with skinny jeans over there, and it's great, and it's awesome, and I want to go there. Actually, I joined a small group at the church in Rome, and I got offended, so I'm, oh, wait a minute, you can't. You can't. And I think for a lot of us, go ahead and go to the next slide, this is what hit me this week. For some of us in Christian community, the depth you long for is on the other side of the conflict you aren't willing to work through. And I'm just going to let that one simmer for a second. In Christian community, we want you to be safe. There are certain relationships that are toxic and you need to remove yourself from. And if that's you and you need help, please let us know. But for a lot of us, conflict is the very thing that God might be sending your way to help you look more like Jesus. For some of you, it's not the cover-up, it's not the conflict, it's just conceding. I think for a lot of us, this is it. This is it. Pastor John, that's all cute, I get it, but it's 2022. Small groups is so 2010. I mean, come on, right? Everybody's busy, and I've got a family, and I've got kids, and we're shuttling them around, and I'm super busy, and it's, it's just so old school. Like, nobody really has that anymore. You know what I felt like God say to me this week and challenged me with? have the audacity to reject that and say no. I'm pressing in when everybody's pulling back. I'm pressing in and I'm not going to give up and I'm not going to quit and I'm going to find the childcare that I need and I'm going to put it in my schedule because I am a better person when I'm in community. I look more like Jesus when I'm in community. And I'm going to get really personal with you for a second. I can throw Bible at you all day long or I can say I know that for John, for me in the groups that I'm in, I'm a better husband. I'm a better father. I'm a better friend. I pray a better leader, that I'm more patient and kind and loving and generous, that I look more like Jesus when I have other people in my life that know me, that call me out once in a while, that speak the truth in love and love me too much to leave me the way that I am. I need it. I need it. As a human being, as a man of God, I need it. And yet for some of us, we're stuck in one of those obstacles. What's your next step this week? To remove the cover-up, the conflict, to work through it? Or to get rid of the conceding and saying, when everybody is pulling back, I'm going to press in. There's more for you in that. There's more for you in this coin and we want to make it really easy for you, really, really practical. You heard Ben and Bonnie talk about this at the beginning, starting this Wednesday. If you didn't know, we have a Wednesday night worship service every single week, and you should come. And there's tons of room to spread out, especially in the balcony. So if you want a little extra social distancing, that is your time to shine. But what we're going to do is we're going to jump into groups. If you're gone for a week, it's totally fine. We've got group leaders. If you've ever wanted to get connected, it doesn't get any easier than this and some of those groups may continue we're doing it for february we might continue on men's group meets saturday mornings and thursday nights depending on your schedule women have an awesome coffee top a coffee talk event that they do every month this one includes paintings you get to meet other awesome women and learn a new skill as well it's going to be awesome so many opportunities to get connected what's your next step take one step take a leap of faith and you're going to reap the benefits of that And I was praying about, how do I give you a picture of this? Because for so many of us, we need to see a sermon and not just hear a sermon. What what, what big profound ending can I put on this sermon? Well, you go to a commercial for Star Wars. Of course, is, is where you go. It's like commercial day here. I don't know why. But when the Rogue One offshoot film came out, there was a commercial that came out, I don't know, seven or eight years ago now, about this little boy. And it wrecks me every time I watch it. Because I just think about you. I think about us. I think about Hope Elam. And as you watch this final clip, watch as a little boy demonstrates the power of being known. Take a look. That's where I'm at in life. If you want a picture of a healthy church, if you want a picture of this broken, imperfect group of people called Hope Elam, It's that, that all the things that we think we have to hide that are under the waterline, that we realize everybody else is struggling with something very similar, and we can look each other on the eyes and say, me too, me too, me three, me 800. We're all in the same boat together. There is a God that loves you, more than you will ever know and accepts you just as you are. And your challenge, Hope Elam, in the year 2022, if you choose to accept it, is to know and be known so that we can experience a glimpse of heaven called the beloved community. And it's just going to take a little bit of vulnerability and a little bit of time and a little bit of trusting the process to let your guard down and understand that yes, you, even you can be Loved, Amen? It's time to join a group. Hope Elam, let's stand, let's worship together wherever you're at, and sing of this mighty God we serve. Thanks so much for joining us. To find out more about Hope Elam, follow us on Instagram at elam, or visit our website at hope-elum.org